Now, as far as the message goes today, we are in our series entitled Uncomfortable, where we're looking at topics that are facing us as a culture that often bring discomfort to us. We have questions about these topics, but we're not real sure where to get the answers from. We have questions about these topics, but it makes us uncomfortable to ask the questions. And last week, we addressed the issue of racial tension in our country from a biblical perspective, and I hope it was a benefit to you. We're going to do something fun as part of this series. The last week of this series will be November 22nd, and we're going to do a live Q&A from the platform. You may have remembered this from last year. We did this. We're going to be doing it again. You can submit questions online. I want everybody to pull out your phones. This is real simple. We're all going to practice this together. Pull out your phones, right? Don't be checking the football scores. None of that. All right. And all you have to do is put in poll EV, P-O-L-L-E-V, dot com slash j first spelled out and you hit go and it will take you to our live q and a now you can fill that out it's completely anonymous you can submit questions uh, on there there have already been some great questions that are submitted you can upvote those questions uh, as as you see maybe you see somebody who posts a question like oh that's really interesting i'd like to know about that you can hit the little arrow and you can upvote now you might be asking why would you why would you dedicate a service to answering questions and answers well as i told you guys last week as a pastor sometimes i'm answering questions you are not asking and other times i am not answering questions that you are asking. And so you can ask a biblical question or, 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 or a question of uh, on perspective of uh, culture or life issues, and we'll answer those from a biblical uh, foundation. And it's going to be a lot of fun, and hopefully it will be beneficial. Now today, we're going to approach our topic with reverence, with, with a sense of seriousness, because today's topic is rather heavy, uh, because this topic has been at the forefront of our scene for 2020, and that topic is death. Death is an uncomfortable topic for a lot of us to talk about and discuss. We have learned that in our American culture this year, and really around the world, death is something that frightens a lot of us. As we're approaching this pandemic, it seems like death is on everyone's mind. Death is constantly around us because we are constantly hearing of death in the news. Every night that we turn on the news, we hear about the onslaught of death that has come from the virus. We're warned of impending doom. We are told of high death tolls, and we are updated daily on how many people have succumbed to the virus on that day. And what we have seen from the reaction is that death is something that a lot of us fear. It's something that a lot of people in the world fear. It's something that makes us uncomfortable. Death has never been a fun thought for humanity. Death has always been around us, but now it seems to be pushed to the forefront of our conversations. Now, what's interesting about this is that death is something that's always in our news. Every time you turn on the news, it, you, you, you see the latest tragedy involving a murder or traffic accident or a random event that costs people their lives. In fact, for the news, there's an expression, if it bleeds, it leads. And so death is one of those things that has constantly been at the forefront. We are reminded of death every time we visit a hospital room and we watch a loved one take their last breath. Humanity has never enjoyed the thought of its own demise. However, with this pandemic, the threat of death has driven fear deeper and deeper into the hearts of humanity. With a pandemic, death 
could come for us all. It could come at any moment from a source that none of us can see. And that's what makes this so different than anything else. In a car crash, we can look at the car crash and we can understand how it happened. With a virus, we don't see it. It's, a, it's an enemy to our, to our existence. It's an enemy to our mortality. And we can't even place our fingers upon it. What makes death so concerning for so many people is that we all know that we will die at some point. I just came to encourage you this morning. (laughs) This is not one of those messages that are going to be fun, per se. I used to have a pastor who used to say, you got to eat your spinach. It doesn't taste good, but you got to eat it sometimes. And this is one of those topics that, while not fun to discuss, is relevant for every single one of us. Every person who has ever lived to this point has died or is in the process of dying. And unless the Lord returns for his church in our lifetime, we too, at some point in the future, are going to be on our own deathbed. Death is the only certainty of life. Now, there was the old joke that says there's only two certainty, death and taxes. Taxes are probably a certainty. But death is a reality, and it's going to happen. If the Lord tarries, death is going to be the future reality of all of us. In fact, many of us got married. We made a commitment to our spouse to be with them until what? Death does us part. Perhaps you heard the comedian who said, I didn't know when I stood before my spouse and made the vow till death does us part that I was setting a goal for myself, right? I hope your marriage doesn't feel like that. In some ways, death scares us, but in other ways, we've resigned ourselves to the reality of our own demise. For example, we buy life insurance so that when we die, there's some money left over for our loved ones, so that our expenses of our death are taken care of. Now, death and our response to death is a strange thing indeed. Here's what I believe. While none of us embraces our own demise with joy, when we have a biblical understanding of death and the afterlife, there should not be any fear of death for the believer. For the believer, death can be tragic in many circumstances. However, death should not be feared. For a non-believer, not only Should we fear death? Not only is the fear of death warranted, but the afterlife should be so much more concerning than anything that we can imagine here on earth. And here's the big idea for this message today. Death was a curse, but it's also a gift. Death was a curse, but it's also a gift. We're going to look at the biblical understanding of death, and when we do, we're going to see that there's two destinations in the afterlife, and my prayer today is that you would have an understanding and know the destination in which you are going. My prayer today is that you would allow the certainty of your own mortality to cause you to surrender to Jesus in every aspect of your life, and that you would be comforted in knowing where your eternal dwelling is going to be. The first thing we need to talk about today is death itself. Why is death a certainty and a reality for all of humanity? Well, Genesis 2, verses 15 through 17 tells us, it says, The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat, you shall surely die. Death was not the intention of God 
for humanity. God created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and told them not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If they were to eat from that tree, there was going to be a punishment associated from taking that fruit. There was going to be punishment for that rebellion, and that punishment was death. God told them from the very beginning, he didn't play, he didn't play games with Adam and Eve. There wasn't a bait and switch. This wasn't a test. This wasn't, this wasn't trying to deceive Adam and Eve. He said, do not eat from the tree, because if you eat, you you will die. According to scripture, the wages of sin is death. And so when we sin, death is the punishment that we owe. When we die at the end of our lives, it's always a result of our sin. Most of us know the story. Adam and Eve do sin by eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And sin entered into the world that moment and death was on its heels. Death was the curse that came upon the world associated with sin. Now, many people have asked the question, and I think it's a legitimate question that we need to answer. Why did God assign the punishment of death? Isn't that kind of extreme? If I tell a white lie, why would death be the result of that such insignificant sin? Death seems extreme to us because we're guilty. However, when you understand that sin is treason against the holiness of God, then the punishment fits the crime. Do you remember my, one of my favorite movies is Lonesome Dove? Do I have any Lonesome Dove fans? Come on, that's a good movie. Well, you remember Jake Spoon. Jake Spoon fell in with a bunch of horse thieves. And so when, when Call and Gus come across him, they say, we're going to have to hang you. And he says, come on, guys, I, I wasn't really meaning to. I was just, I was just going along with this. I, I was going to leave. And what did they say to him? You should have left a little sooner. This is the punishment. Because the punishment is going to fit the crime. Why? Because Call and Gus believed in justice. Now, here's what we have to understand is that God is just. And death seems extreme. But when we understand what sin is, the punishment fits the crime. And sin is treason. When we sin, we are committing treason against the holy God. We are rejecting his rule. We are rejecting his truth. We are rejecting his lordship. And most importantly, we are rejecting his love and grace. Historically, treason has always been punishable by death. In almost every human culture and every military context, when someone committed treason, they punished them with death. Why? Because treason is serious, and treason can unhinge the entire movement of the military. And so the holiness of God, death is the only acceptable punishment when we commit treason to that. Justice demands a punishment, and death, according to a just God, is that punishment. So death was not a surprise to Adam and Eve. God warned them of the cost associated to it, but Adam and Eve sinned anyways. And it's important to see that every single person who has ever lived since Adam and Eve, we have all sinned and we have all brought the curse of death upon ourselves. Death is a curse. It was not what God intended for his creation. He never intended for us to die. And it goes against the design that he had for his creation. This is why death brings pain when loved ones leave us behind. This is why death brings sorrow and fear to the human heart. 
This is why death is always a tragedy for those who succumb to its grip. Death is a curse. But here's what I want you to see, is that death is also a gift. Now, that statement might seem like a a surprise to you. When you look at death, we often fail to see the mercy of God in death. How How could God, who sentenced death as the punishment for sin, how could that be merciful in any way? How could it possibly be merciful that God allowed his creation to die? Well, there's a couple things I want you to see. First is this, that death released the decay from flesh. We have to understand the Bible makes it very clear that James 1.17 says that every good thing we experience comes from God above. Every good thing. So if you had a good meal last night, God is the one who gets the credit for that. If you have new clothes on, God gets the credit for that. If you have loved ones in your life, God gives the credit for that. The fact that you're breathing today, God gets the credit for that. Every good thing, no matter how big or how small, comes from God above. Every good thing. When you walk outside and the sunshine beats down on your body and you feel its warmth, that's a gift from God. When you're sitting out by the campfire on a a cool fall evening, watching the fire pit, that's a gift from God. All of these things are a gift from God. The scripture tells us that God sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. All these good things coming from God have no dependency upon your goodness. When it rains upon the land, there are good people that receive the rain and there are bad people who receive the rain. God sends the rain upon everybody. And here's what I want you to see. We have never, ever, ever in our life experienced the full removal of God's goodness from our life. No matter how sinful you are, no matter how quote unquote good you are, you have never experienced the full removal of the goodness of God from your life. Even sinners have not experienced a complete absence of the goodness of God in their life. Because if God removed his presence from us, it would be a perpetual hell like we have never experienced before. In fact, when we look at hell in a moment, what we're going to see one of the key characteristics of hell is that it's a place completely void of God. Therefore, it's void of anything good. Now, why do I want you to see this? Because when God declared death as a punishment, he was giving us an exit. See, sin separated us from God, but death was a way to be brought back into God. It should be noted some people have taken this teaching and they have twisted it to mean that suicide, taking one's own life is a good thing. That's a gross misunderstanding of what we're trying to see here. What we're saying is that God created a punishment of sin so that he could make a way for sin to be dealt with. So when we're saying there's an escape from the decay of flesh, what we're saying is that God, through justice, made a pathway so that you and I could be restored to him. The alternative would be to do nothing. And that alternative means that we would just experience a perpetual separation from God, a perpetual existence and hell. Now, more importantly, death is a gift because death made a way for a savior to come die for our sin. Death is a way for Jesus to restore us to God. 
Because God instituted death as the punishment for sin, he also instituted a legal system in which Jesus could come and die and redeem humanity. It's vital to see that the punishment of sin is death, and God did not intend for us to die forever. From day one, God in his grace held back death from Adam and Eve. We go back and we read out of Genesis 2, God said to Adam and Eve, if you sin, you will die. He didn't say you're going to die someday. You're going to die. Right then, why didn't they die? Because God's goodness. Adam and Eve didn't die right away because God was giving them time to repent and to turn back to him. And that shows us something. God desires for all of his people to come to him, to turn to him. He desires to rescue us and to save us from our sin. Every breath that we take is a gift from the grace and the mercy of God that we may find our salvation in Jesus Christ. Sometimes people will ask after a tragedy, why did God allow those people to die? A better question, and it might sound morbid, but a better question for all of us is, is why does God allow any of us to live this long? We're sinners, we deserve death. But God is holding that death back in the hopes that we will repent and turn to him. Furthermore, because death was the penalty, Jesus Christ could come and he could die for you and for me. We look at death as such a negative thing from God, but when we see that God instituted this, what you see within this picture is the greatest act of love of ever possible. Because God made a way that he could come and die for you and he could die for me. Christ was sinless and he offered his life on the cross for every sin that you and I could commit. He paid the debt of death that we owe in order to release us from the consequences of our sin. We see the grace and the mercy of God. So while death is a curse, it can also be a gift because it can be the pathway to your salvation through the death of Jesus Christ. This is ultimately the fulfillment of the promise from God to believers. And that promise is to turn all things to the good of those who love him. God in his power and his mercy and his grace can even turn death into something good in your life. Now, the event of death in the human life is just half the equation. You cannot talk about death without discovering what happens after death. From scripture, we understand that our life is but a vapor in the air. It's here for a while and then it's gone And so when someone dies, there's one of two outcomes. The person will either spend eternity in heaven or they will spend eternity in the second death in a place called hell. Now, Revelations chapter number 21, verses 1 through 8, shows us the two outcomes for humanity. Paul, the apostle of Jesus, is given a vision, a revelation from heaven of the future heaven and the future hell. And here's what he says, starting in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. 
And he who seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. And the one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly and the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Once you exit this life, you'll spend an eternity in heaven or an eternity in hell. Those are the only two outcomes. It's really important to understand this, that death is a pathway into eternity, and eternity is a really long time. Everything we understand about time is relative. So time is how, for you is for however long you have lived. Scientists have theorized this is why it seems like time speeds up the older we get, because every year of your life makes a shorter span of your life. So if you're four years old and it's December 26th, you have to live one quarter of your life for Christmas to come back around. But if you're 80 on December 26th, for Christmas to come back around, it's just an 80th of your life. And so it goes by so much faster. Now, a long life, be, let's say 95 years, be a long life on earth. But next to eternity, 95 years is nothing but a flicker. Your greater reality does not reside on this earth. Your greater reality resides in eternity. The scripture teaches us that we all will live in eternity forever, time without end. We cannot wrap our mind around this truth. We will either be in heaven or we will be in hell. But the eternal aspect of it is hard for us to wrap our mind around because everything comes to an end in this life. Everything has a time limit to it. But eternity is timeless. So I want to spend a few moments talking to you about heaven. As Paul told us in 2 Corinthians 5.8, for the believer, death is a gift from God because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Therefore, sin is not, or death is not something to be dreaded or to be fearful for a believer because death is a gateway to be with the Lord. We read an excerpt in Revelations about what awaits a believer. You can continue to read the rest of this chapter when you get home and you can get a a viewpoint from heaven. Unfortunately, we don't have time to dive into all that this morning, but I want to give you a few highlights from this scripture. What you see is that heaven is radically different experience from anything we have on earth. We never have to experience pain again. We never have to experience suffering. We never have to experience sorrow. Those things are foreign to us. That lifestyle is foreign to us because sorrow and death and pain and mourning are constantly around us. But in, in heaven, it's completely void of all those things. Heaven is so wonderful that 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of man has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. What that says to us is that you can try to understand heaven on this side, but you can't even imagine how amazing it's going to be. The greatest minds, if we get them all together in a room and they start dreaming up how amazing heaven could be, they could not even begin to predict what that looks like. 
In heaven, God removes any and all effects from sin, decay, and death from a believer. We get the image of God wiping away tears from our eyes. There's, there's no reason for us to have tears anymore because there's no pain in heaven. Nothing bad, nothing evil resides in heaven. As far as heaven goes, we, we don't actually have a lot of descriptions. You can, re- me, you can read the remainder of this. You can see that God gives us a glimpse. We're only given a picture of the city of the new Jerusalem. The city is laid out in a 1,400-mile cube. The cube shape would remind us of the Old Testament temple. The Holy of Holies was laid out in a cube because God's presence dwelled there. And here God says that he will be with his people. There's a big wall surrounding the city itself as a sign of power and strength. On those walls, there's the 12 tribes are written down there. The 12 apostles are written down there on the wall to show that there's a a uniting of saints both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's a contrast between the Garden of Eden and, and heaven. In heaven, there's a, there's a tree that gives life, and it's constantly producing fruit in its seasons. These are all small glimpses from Scripture, but we won't have full realization of heaven until we're in eternity. And death is what ushers the believer into that paradise. That's why Paul told us in 1 Thessalonians, we do not mourn like those without hope. Why? Because we have hope. Now, it gets even better than that because there's, there's purpose in heaven. And the purpose of heaven is to enjoy the presence of the Lord, the goodness of God, and to live out an eternal purpose. Because heaven is depicted by so many artworks that we see, we think of heaven as us floating around on clouds with harps. And that's not what heaven looks like. Frankly, for a lot of us, we're like, eh, that sounds a little bit on the boring side because I can't play the harp, right? You know, so there's like, ding, you know, make no mistakes about it, friends. Heaven will not be boring. We're not going to be sitting there playing harps. We have to get this right. Heaven is about God redeeming his creation. In the Garden of Eden, Humanity walked with God and had purpose. And what we see and read in Revelation 21 is that God is restoring that divine plan of humanity in heaven. God will be in the midst of the redeemed for all of history. Revelation 22.4 says that we will see God's face. This is a fulfillment of the promise that Jesus gave us in Matthew that says that the righteous will see God. There's nothing more powerful than to be in the presence of God. The promise is a sign of blessing all the way back to the Old Testament. The priestly blessing given for us in Numbers 6.25 says that God will be shining his face upon us. But in heaven, we also have purpose. We see fruitfulness from the trees and healing for the nations. We see kings bringing tribute to God. And what many scholars take this to mean is that in heaven, we even have divine objectives and tasks that God gives us to fill out. The most wonderful work for a believer to bring the fulfillment that God gives for our lives. So what's the response to heaven? How should we respond to heaven? Well, Peter really focuses in for us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-9. through 9. He says this, blessed be the God and the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to inherit that which is imperishable, undefined, unfading, 
kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in this last time. So you have to understand that death isn't the end. Because Jesus rose again, we too are going to rise again in that last day when the trumpet sounds and we have the hope of heaven and it's being guarded in faith until it's being revealed in its last time. You and I, we already have possession of something that we haven't even seen yet. Continuing on, verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What he's saying is because you have heaven, you can stand some trials for now because it's, it's refining, it's testing your faith to let it stand. Verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not, you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This passage is showing us that we have the hope of heaven. Death is not permanent for believers. Death is not a curse for believers. Death is a gift. Death is not eternal. We have the hope of heaven. So how do we respond to death all around us as believers? First, as believers, we put our focus upon heaven. Second, we face death with the hope of heaven. We constantly look to heaven, and then when we're facing our own death, we face it with the hope of heaven. That doesn't mean we run and play in traffic. That doesn't mean we do stupid things. It doesn't mean that we're careless. But when death comes for us, we have the hope in heaven because we know that this season in the ground is not permanent, that we will rise again, and that we spend eternity with the Lord. And third, we face death by encouraging people to get to heaven. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but... The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In the face of death, we tell others around us about the hope that we have. Even in the midst of our own demise. For believers, death is a gift. Death is a gift. However, there's some more truth that we have to look at very quickly. We will not spend much time today discussing hell like we just did heaven. But I do want to share with you a few things very quickly. Revelation 1.8 says this, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, the the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The scripture warns us that all non-believers will face a second death in hell. It's important to know that Jesus spoke more of hell than he did of heaven. And most of the teaching that we have on hell came from the mouth of Jesus himself. Hell is described in scripture as a lake of fire that never goes out. It is described as a a place of great suffering and of weeping, of gnashing of teeth. It is described as a place of utter darkness. Along with these verses, we get a few more insights into what hell is like. Matthew 8, 12 says, but the the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into utter darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 13, 50 says, and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Mark 9, 43 says, and if your hand causes you sin, cut it off. It's better to enter into life crippled with two hands than go into hell to the unquenchable fire. Think of some of the words that are said here, gnashing of teeth. You've been there when you've stubbed your toe and you're like, you grit your teeth. It hurts so bad. The pain is excruciating. So bad you can't even utter words. And Jesus says, that's what hell's like, only unimaginable. Just as unimaginable as heaven is, hell is just as unimaginably horrific. It's worse than anything that we can imagine. Death should scare non-believers because death is also a pathway. It's a pathway to unimaginable pain and suffering. I referenced a moment ago that we've never experienced true abandonment from God. But in hell, in the lake of fire that never goes out, there is no escape. There's nothing to bring comfort from the pain. There's nothing good to ever look forward to. Pain, torment, and suffering forever in utter darkness. Hell is described as a place of fire, and some have asked, well, how can it be a place of darkness? And I would argue hell is dark because God is not there. In heaven, you see that there is no sun or moon, for the glory of God gives light in heaven. But in hell, there's a complete void of anything good, a void of anything God. And I believe that's why it's a place of utter darkness. Sin is ultimately saying, God, we do not want you around us. And hell is ultimately about getting exactly what we ask for. It's a place completely void of anything good and anything of God. I want to close with this if the worship team wants to come back. Unless Jesus returns, death is coming for all of us. One day Jesus will return and all the believers will rise out of the ground. Death will be temporary for them. Death is coming and you're going to spend eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. What's going to determine where you spend eternity? It comes down to one question. What do you believe about Jesus Christ? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift from God, not as a result of works that no one can boast. There's not one person in this room today that can brag about going to heaven. Why? Because we didn't do anything to earn it. There's not one. People who go to heaven isn't because they're righteous. It isn't because they're good. It's because they put their faith in Jesus Christ. And faith in Jesus made them right before God. It made them righteous. God took Jesus' righteousness and placed it inside the believer. Romans 10.9 says, But because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Sin is treason against God. It's a rejecting of God. Faith is coming back to God. The beauty of the gospel message is that this gift of salvation is free through faith in Jesus Christ. When we, when we confess with our mouth, believe in our heart, that Jesus rose from the dead for our sins, when we confess him as the Lord of our lives, saying, I'm not living in treason anymore. I'm living for you. That's what scripture says, we are saved. Death and fear of death is all around us, but for the believer who's made that decision, you don't have to fear death anymore. Jesus came to remove that fear. And when you place your faith inside of him, the gospel message of the good news is, is that you're on your way to eternity in heaven. 
So I'd ask you to consider your life. 2020 is a year that probably every single one of us have at least contemplated our own demise in one way or another. How could we not? We're constantly reminded of it. If death came today, where would you spend eternity?